Man, we, we cannot express how honored we are to be here among you all. Uh, you guys are the righteous ones, the excellent ones, the noble ones. You are. This is what scripture calls you. We are among the excellent ones right now, the saints. This is a privilege to be here. Truly, we are honored to be here. Um, we came, we are in town because my son Caleb turned 13 today. He's a man! He's a man. <laughs> I'm released! <laughs> son of the commands. I'm proud of you, Caleb. We have also added another son to our family, Chris. Do stand up. The Lord has been good to us. The Lord has been good to you guys. My goodness. This was amazing. Just looking just went on and on and on. Wow. Fruitfulness. Fruitfulness in the house of God. Even as we were on our way into town this morning, the word I kept hearing for you guys is well positioned. You are well positioned. That's what I kept hearing from the Lord. LCM. The men and the women, the families of LCM are well positioned. And nothing could thrill us more to come and just be with you guys, even for a short time. We went and saw Submission Ministries on Monday. We just saw King's Harvest yesterday. We get to spend today with you guys. And tomorrow we're going to see Remnant. We love widening those roads. Amen. Amen. Tonight, we are going to talk to you guys about welcoming the interruption. And the name of the sermon is You Give Them Something to Eat. Amen. We're going to talk tonight about ministering out of the home. Now, y'all know that we came from LCM, but I think to say that really misses the, the dynamic relationship that we still have. To say that we came from here many, many years ago, which is true, really doesn't encompass the ongoing nature of our relationship and how completely tied together we are. We are connected to your success. We are intertwined. As you guys do well, we do well. As you prosper, we prosper. As the Lord gives you revelation, we benefit from that revelation. Everything good that falls into this house and that you guys mine for it benefits us and blesses us still to this day we are still completely intertwined and interconnected and this past year has shown that you guys have blessed us and saved our lives our lives not just our lives our lives and we are eternally grateful for that so we are glad to be here tonight Amen. Yes, when we're talking about ministering out of our homes, what we're really talking about is doing the will of God. Amen. You know, and we all understand just how important it is to do the will of God. Right? Only those who do the will of God will enter the kingdom of heaven. Yes. Right? And so, is it possible to be a minister and not be doing his will? No. <laughs> is it? No. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right, and so ministering out of the home is, ab is about doing the will of God. It's about knowing his heart, 
seeing it unfold before you in a moment and really jumping on board in alignment with it in your home. What we learned here during our time, this is the very beginning. I mean, these are the foundations. This is sewn into the DNA of this church is openness, generosity with every resource. This was decades ago. Generosity with every resource was here in this church at the foundational level and selfless servanthood being selfless and serving whatever the needs are of the body that was here decades ago that has only matured in this body and you guys are getting to live in the fruit of it but that's what we learned even decades ago so so long ago selfless servanthood openness generosity with every resource and so now you guys from what we understand, more and more people are being entrusted with the responsibility of ministering out of their home. You are being passed the ball and saying, now go and do likewise in your own home. Is that the case? Is that what's happening? Yes. So you now are getting the opportunity to say, okay, we saw you do it. We heard you preach about it. And now we're going to do it in our home. And not just doing what we're told. As in, invite this couple over on this night. Make sure that you have these couples over. But it's now springing up from us. This voluntary wanting to bring people into our home. To minister like we've been ministered to. Now you're getting the opportunity to do that. And so tonight what we wanted to share is just principles that we've learned. That I'm sure will affirm what your pastors have been showing you. What your pastors have been demonstrating and teaching we want to share and testify to some of these principles. Yes, they are true. Yes, they work. And hopefully give you something that you can benefit from as you minister from your home. Is that, is that fair? So if everybody can turn their Bibles to Mark 6. This is really one of my favorite passages. This, um, this is a passage... Um, Mark 6, uh, starting in verse 30, it's about how Jesus feeds the 5,000. And this really is a story about ministry. Um, you know, and, and it's a story about us, about me, about you, and it's a story for others. It's a story for the people that you will be ministering to in your home, in your life, okay? So the story is about you, and it's for people. Amen. And ministry is for people. Amen. Amen. So this story, actually, if you could just throw, you don't have to turn there. Turn to Matthew 14, 13. We just want you to see this because this is a parallel telling of the same story. And as you guys know, it gives us a detail that's very important. So Matthew 14, 13, we just want to set the stage here. Jesus just hears that his good friend, his cousin, John the Baptist, was just brutally murdered. I don't know exactly how that feels to hear the news that your, one of your best friends was just brutally murdered. But this news is brought... To Jesus. And then as soon as he hears this news, like you would expect of anyone, what did he want to do? To go be alone with his father and to work through everything that was coming up. 
Let me read to you from Matthew 14, 13. It says, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. And here's the turn. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. That right there is setting the stage for what we're going to talk about tonight. Ministry. These are principles for ministry. But what we want you to do tonight is as we're reading through how our Savior demonstrated this and some of the problems that the disciples had to work through. We want you to begin thinking of this in terms of ministering in your home. Begin thinking this situation unfolding in my home. How am I reacting to these things? How does Jesus show me how to react to these things? Okay, because this was good timing or bad timing for Jesus. But here they were. Here were the people needing from him. Just as Jesus was desperately needing to go be with the father. Here were the people. And they needed from him. Just like people in your home, as you open up your home, a little at first, right? Just open the door just a little bit. Hey, guys, anybody that wants to come in is welcome to come in. No one came. I offered the invitation. No. As you open your door wide to ministry, as you open your door all the way up and say, come on in. You want to come over? You guys should come over. Come on over. Come on over anytime. You don't have to announce. Don't even knock. Just come on in. As you open up the door to ministry, rest assured, this will happen to you. You want to go be alone with the Father. You need some time. And there the people are needing from you. And this was the openness that we experienced in LCM. Yes. It was that type of openness. The door was flung wide open. It didn't matter what time of day or night that we were there. You know, we were there until 3 o'clock in the morning sometimes, and Eric had to go to work the next day, and Jen had the kids to put in bed, and they never once made us feel like we were a burden or that we weren't welcome. They always made us feel welcome, and that impacted our lives eternally, and that's the foundation that was built upon for us from this place. And uh, also, kind of... Along the side of this, as I was worshiping, the Lord reminded me that as I was reading this passage one day, he showed me a parallel of uh, a message for wives in this message, a message to ministering wives. And I asked Nick, I said, would it be okay if as we're reading along and the Lord brings it to my remembrance, if I could share some of the parallels here? And he said it was fine, and so no, I believe... No, 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 I didn't just say it was fine. This was not, I'll allow it. This was absolutely, baby. You receive revelations from the heavens. You go ahead and drop that knowledge that the Lord has laid on your heart. So, to kind of set it up, I, I just want the women in this room, in the same way that um, Christ and the church parallel a husband and a wife... In this passage, start to see yourself as the disciple and Christ as your husband. And we'll talk about the interactions and the heart posture there. Hallelujah. So, Mark 6.30. Let's go ahead and begin reading 30 through 36. 
The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Okay, hold on. I'm going to read this in the CJB. <laughs> so I forgot my CJB. Oh, man. It's so good. Okay, so it says. It is good. It's so good. Okay. Those who had been sent out rejoined Yeshua and reported to him all that they had done and taught. There were so many people coming and going that they couldn't even take time to eat. So he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a place where we can be alone and you can get some rest. Okay, this is the first point for the, for the wives, okay? There are times where um, we're ministering and ministering causes us to crucify the flesh. And we can all do that to varying levels in here. And we all recognize when we're getting pushed past our limit in ministering and we have to crucify our flesh. And so there come times where we recognize it and praise the Lord by his grace we push past and we crucify our flesh and we think, ah, praise the Lord, I did it. And then what inevitably happens, right? You have your expectation about how the rest of the night will go, you know, and, and perhaps you are expecting um, alone time with your husband, right? Uh-oh. <laughs> right? And so you just finish a night of ministry and you have this expectation that, oh, me and my husband, we're going to finally be able to be alone. We'll be able to rest. It is what you both want. <laughs> we're going to get to eat. All those, there's those leftovers that I'm super hungry. All this ministry that bottle night, I'm starving. Yeah, bottle of wine. It's done. I did it. Here we go. The and next the episode in the show you've been watching together. That's right. So I'm ready. I'm, I, I'm ready to relax. And then what happens, right? It says, you know, your husband's like, come with me by yourself to a place where we can be alone and you can get some rest. Ooh, what every wife wants, that, that wants to hear sometimes, right? You're on your way driving home. You're like, yes. Let's go rest. <laughs> right. Active rest. <laughs> They went off by themselves to an isolated spot. But many people seeing them leaving and recognizing them ran ahead on foot from all the towns and got there first. This is you getting home in the driveway and seeing somebody sitting in your driveway. Right? Waiting and for you. Waiting for you or waiting for your husband to talk to your husband. And what's your first thought? Is your first thought a righteous thought? No, no. Is your first <laughs> Is your first thought for their sake? Mm. It has to be. Amen. <laughs> yes. If we <laughs> If we're going to be ministers. Yeah who do the will of God, who rightly convey the heart of God, 
it has to be a righteous response for their sake in this moment. Serving while you have need. This is probably the biggest. You have a need. And you're required now to give of it. And this goes back to what Jesus said. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down freely. There's a flip that has to happen when you begin to minister. When you care about people, there's a flip where you are guarding your own comforts and what you want, where you're guarding those things from people to where you open up and you say, I lay down my comforts, my wants, my plans, all my desires. I lay them all down and I'm entrusting them to the Father is what you're really doing. And you're saying, come on in, because that's the way that Jesus lived. And it's not unattainable. It's not something that just he did. It's the example that was given to us. It's the example that's set here in this home. The number of times that the, the Piros just stopped what they were doing amidst uh, uh, all the things that they were responsible for and all the people that they had to take care of and just sat down and didn't make us feel like we were taking time from them. But rather made it feel like it was their greatest joy that we got to sit together. Right? And you can send, I don't want to go back to the, the story here, but you can send messages to people that you're ready for them to go. That you have other things that you need to do. You can send those, me- you start looking at your, oh, oh, really? Okay. Oh, okay. You can send them those messages to subtly let them know they need to it's leave. Time. It's time. Right? And we're talking about letting that go. We're glad that you're here. Come on in. You want to stay longer? Stay. Let's talk. You showed up at an inconvenience. It's not an inconvenience. You're not an inconvenience. I'm here for you. That's why I'm here. That's why I was put here on this earth. Was for you. Yeah, because the greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It is God and people, right? That's what this is about. It's about God and it's about others, right? Our life is not our own. Amen. Amen. We were bought with a price. And so... Can you throw 1 Corinthians 6.19 up on the board? How much more is our stuff not our own? Is our time not our own? We are stewards of everything that we've been given, and it all belongs to God. So how are you going to steward your life? How are you going to steward your time? How are you going to steward your things? By submitting them to the will of the Father unfolding before you in your home. Amen. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. So what we see, if we go back to the passage, where did you leave off? uh, So back in 14.13, well, 14.14 says that Jesus responded with compassion. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And that's what we're talking about when we drive up in the car, us us wives, and we have our expectation about how the night's going to go. And we see that person there who's really needing to talk to your husband who's ministering, you should look with compassion 
on that person mm -hmm. because that's the way Jesus responded. And if you don't, right, you have to allow the Lord to cut that flesh away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, not, we're not asking them, what's your justifiable reason for being here right now? We're here to serve you. <laughs> I mean, we could go on with that point. You know, even when Job really needed a friend, God asked him to be a friend. He needed his friends during that time, right? And then what did God end up doing? Job sacrificed for them so that they can be okay at the end of the story. Sacrifice for them. You look at Job's story and man, you feel so bad for the guy. God doesn't feel bad for him. He, he, and God doesn't feel bad for you or me. He doesn't feel bad for you. Right? You've had a busy, there's so much. He doesn't feel bad for you because he knows who you are and the power that's in you. And what you've been called. So he doesn't feel bad for you. That's how he can tell Job, sacrifice for your friends. Verse 34 says, when Yeshua came ashore, he saw a huge crowd filled with compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. You guys, our whole culture is filled with sheep without a shepherd right now. So True. many people are done with the church because the shepherds have not shepherded the sheep. They've taken care of themselves. <clears throat> And it's left the sheep scattering and they're wandering and they're out there uh, prey to uh, ferocious wolves, right? And this is what's happening out there right now. So many people are coming through the doors of our church, wandering, disenfranchised with church. They're done with church and they come in like sheep without a shepherd and they need to be shepherded and we have to have compassion on them. Amen. Amen. Keep reading that. Finish that Verse 35. By this time, the hour was late. Oh, there's another parallel. The, the Talmudim came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's getting late. Send the people away so that they can go buy food for themselves in the farms and towns around here. Why don't you go get something to eat? You just go out and away from here. <laughs> Get something to eat. Whatever you want. You get whatever you want. <laughs> and here's another parallel with the wives, right? So let's say you pull up in the driveway and you recognize your flesh. And you're like, oh, I know I need to have compassion here. And so you go inside and you're like, okay, I'm crucifying that flesh. Well, now, what does it say? Jesus was teaching them and now the hour was starting to get late. Yeah. So that would be like you walk in and you're like, okay, and your husband's ministering in the living room and teaching and doing what God has called him to do. And now you, as the wife, you're like, it's getting kind of late. You know, the kids got to get up in the morning and whatever. And so, right, it says, they came to him and said, hey, this is a remote place and it's getting late. Send the people away so they can go and buy food for themselves. It's like, hey, you know, you're kind of giving signals it's getting kind of late, you know, you should tell him to go. It's like that, that's not the right heart posture as a ministering wife. You know, you have to support your husband in the ministry that God has called them to and be a servant to the people in that moment and be willing to stay there as long as it takes. 
Yeah, that's good. So the two points that we've, we've covered so far is the first one is serving while you have a need. You have a need. You, you're wanting to be intimate with your spouse. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough food. You don't have enough energy. You don't have enough space. Right? You've had a bad day. <laughs> You've had a bad day. Someone was misunderstanding you. They did you wrong. You got a ticket. Serving while you have a need. Right? Recognizing that that's when people come. They come when you have a need. And the temptation is to go, I, got, I, I need I, right now. I know that you need, but I need. And who's going to watch out for my needs? Serving while you have a need. This was the example that Jesus gave. And the disciples were coming back from ministering too. So they're both in the same boat. They, the disciples just got done ministering. And it was great. It went great. Everything was great. Jesus just got done hearing bad news. And here were the people. So whether you've been ministering or whether you have a need and just need to be with the Lord. And here are the people. Serving while you have a need. And then the second point is that people are not an inconvenience. They are the point. People are not an inconvenience. Look around at the people in this room. Look around at all of them. Look around at people that you might not even normally look at because you don't normally hang out with them. But look around. They're not an inconvenience to your life. In any way. People are the point. Sometimes it can be like, can, can you, I'm trying to minister to the Lord. You're, you're preparing a sermon. You're preparing something that you're going to bring to the people and someone shows up. Now's not a good time. I'm trying to minister to you in the future. It's true. It happens. It's we, a real temptation. It, here's, here's the honest talk. We actually have work to do and things that need to get accomplished. But I'm telling you, we have to get used to this idea that people show up at those times when you've got things to do. You have a need. And it's so easy because it'll happen more and more. It's so easy to see people as an obstacle to be overcome while you do the work of the Lord. When in reality, they're, they are the work. They are the point. They're why we're here. The unity that you can go and build the biggest tower. But if you do it divided and alone, what's it worth? Nothing. The people are the point. People are the point. They're not an inconvenience. Jesus saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And so he brought them in and he taught them. Amen. So what do you do with these people? Jesus was teaching them many things. He's teaching them. So you bring them, you have compassion on them. Hey, what's going on? Come on in. Hey, sit down. Let me share with you what the Lord's been showing me. And you begin to teach just like Jesus did. Whereas the disciples in this story are seeing the people as an inconvenience or a burden to be sent away. Do you see? But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Or we don't have enough. Send them away saying, no, 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 no. That's the wrong mentality. You're seeing it wrong. You have to see them rightly. Amen. Yeah, you really have to see them rightly to treat them rightly. You know, and don't forget that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. 
Do you love me? Then take care of my sheep. Right? We show our love for God by how we show our love for these people that he's sending to your door at the most inconvenient of times. Will you lay down your life for them? So what does this look like? I, I think it's important to give a little bit more meat to this. People are in our lives all the time. Since, since, uh, since we moved, since we've gotten married, there's, we've had over 50 people live with us in our home. From the church. From the church. And they've been there for all of it. Losing a ministry partner. I'd like to be alone. Here are the people. Right? When I lost my job, I'd like to be alone, kind of for a whole season. But here are the people. Even earlier this year, when we had to go to Austin because our world was falling apart. Right there is we're about to be sent off into an RV to go down to Austin to get ministered to. All the disciples are sitting in the living room just watching what's going on. I'd like to be alone. Here are the people. What do you think it means when it says so that everyone may see your progress? They're all there. The people are just there in our lives, in our home. They're not somewhere else. We, we don't have a refuge from the people. We are a refuge for the people. And so the people are just there like sheep without a shepherd watching. How are you going to respond? What are you going to do? What do you have for us? I'm like, but I have need right now. No, they have need. Amen. The Lord meets your needs. Amen. Yeah. You are put here for the people. Amen. That has to be your mentality. Amen. So let's keep reading. Verse 36, send the people away so that they can go and buy food for themselves in the farms and towns around here. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. They replied, we're to go and spend thousands on bread and give it to them to eat? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? Go and check. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. So here's another parallel, right? So it always has to do with food, right, for us women, because <laughs> hospitality, that's one of the things that we need, you know, that, that on, is the way that we bless. Yeah. We need to be opening our homes. We need to be giving of what we have. We, we should be making meals for people. We should be blessing them when they walk in the doors and taking care of their needs. And so food, right? And, <laughs> you know, it might be that you feel like you don't have enough. And there's that temptation to withhold, right? But again, you're a steward of everything that you have. Who said that the food in your cupboard is really for you? And if you don't see it that way, you're not seeing it rightly yet. You're not seeing your life rightly yet. You are called to be a minister of God and do his will and rightly represent him. And he brings resources not just for you, but for others. And so if you're thinking, well, this is mine and I need it for breakfast for tomorrow. But there's a need right in front of you right now. Who knows if you'll even wake up tomorrow? 
You're not promised tomorrow, yes. and then you'll stand before God for how you were stingy <laughs> with what you had. Has anyone ever given for food for late night guests the the, the last of the cereal that you have? <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Or your leftovers. These were going to be my lunch for tomorrow. I'll heat it up and give it to you. This is what I have. And you give of that. And man, does the Lord multiply. Always. And, Always. and he blesses more than your leftovers could give because they feel loved. How do we know that? Because you're still alive <laughs> today. Testify. So do not withhold when it is in your power today to give it. Yeah. Right? And Can we get say, 2 come Corinthians 8.12 up on the screen? Look at this. What a powerful verse this is. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. You look and see all that you don't have. I don't have food for them. I didn't go get any food for them. We don't have extra food to offer you. And so you don't. I don't have extra energy to give. I have to wake up early in the morning. We don't have space for all these people. I don't have, but it's not about what you don't have to give. It's what you do have to give. Amen. And that's a perspective shift. That's changing the way that you're looking at what's in your hand. But I don't have food for this, these 5,000. We don't have food for these 5,000 people that are here. But that's, that's not what Jesus ends up getting from them. He doesn't ask them for 5,000 people's worth of food. He says, what do you have? Then get that out and offer it. With thanksgiving, offer it with faith, offer it with trust that it will be enough. You know, I often will ask myself to, to combat that voice in my flesh, you know, because it's there. And, you know, if I'm tempted to, you know, hang on to something so that we have something and it's like, okay, Lindy, let's put this in perspective. So you're putting a price on your generosity, and you're saying that generosity is worth two bucks, the cost of a muffin that I'm not willing to give up? Or all your K-cups. Yeah, your coffee cups, right? <laughs> how, how much is it worth? Put a price on the thing that you're withholding and you've just put a price on how you value generosity. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. That's how we know these struggles because they're common. These aren't struggles that only you face. They're not problems that only you face. We all do. They're common struggles. Can we look at one more script? Throw Colossians 1, 27 through 29 up if you could. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. 
For this I toil, struggling with all my energy. His energy that he powerfully works within me. Are you running out of your energy to minister? (laughs) Well, it's his energy that he's powerfully working within you. Has anyone ever stayed up late to minister, had to wake up early in the morning, not known where your energy was going to come from, but miraculously you had the energy that you needed? Put your hand up in the air seriously for a second. Look around and test. This is a testimony. The next time that you're trying to do the math of how much sleep you're going to get, we're missing the supernatural power, the energy from God that's at work in us when we put his work first, when we do what he has called us to do first. And what does that mean? The people. It's the people. When it's the people first, the energy that we think won't be there is there because it's his energy that he powerfully works within us. So let's keep reading verse 39. Then he ordered all the people to sit down in groups on the green grass, and they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. And then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he made a blessing. And next he broke up the loaves and began giving them to the disciples to distribute. He also divided up the two fish among them all, and they all ate as much as they wanted. And they took up 12 basketfuls full of the broken pieces and fish, So here we see God do a miraculous work. And this is what will happen when you partner with his spirit to let go of your will, to understand what he's doing in a moment and to jump on board with him. You will get to participate in the miracle that he wants to do in their lives. Mm -hmm. How, How many you were planning on intimacy. Let's talk real talk for a second. You were planning on intimacy with your spouse. Everybody shows up. It gets pushed back. Now there's been nights when you've been, we're just too tired and we go to bed. Amen. Anybody ever had that? Nobody? Not in here? Not this church? (laughs) But then there's also been nights where you fight through your tiredness and you're intimate together. And isn't it amazing? Put your hands up if it was amazing. Yeah, because you fight through. Once again, that also just goes back to your expectations and your energy, your sleep. It's, it's how much sleep I thought I needed. And it's what my expectations were for how the night was going to go. But if you're open handed with those things, he still gives you what you need. It just looks different than you thought it would. How many times have you let people come over? You didn't think there'd be enough food, but all of a sudden, somehow the Lord multiplied it and everybody got what they needed. Raise your hand. Look around. Once again, we're testifying to each other. Something supernatural is happening as we say, my life is not my own. And we give not what we don't have, but we give what we do have. Your money How many testimonies do you have of when you gave of your money and it's like, I needed this for something else, but I'm going to give it. And then all of a sudden he provides what you need. Raise your hand. Once again, we're testifying to each other about the supernatural that happens as we minister to people 
As we put these people first, not see them as an obstacle to be overcome, but we put them first and we minister from these places in our homes. It's all the same. And they, we started this story saying that the disciples, there were so many people that the disciples didn't even get a chance to eat. But look here. It says that they all ate as Everybody much ate. as they wanted. Yeah. So God, his plan is to fulfill your needs. But not before you put their needs above yours. Right. You know, you have your physical needs and he will meet them. But what about their spiritual needs? Prioritizing someone's spiritual needs, even physical needs, above your own. God's going to meet your need. It just might not come the way that you hoped it would. And if you keep fighting with God to try to get things the way that you wanted them, how you wanted them, you will be fighting against God and you won't be participating in the blessing that he wanted to provide for you. And you're cutting off the opportunity for the supernatural to happen as well. You're saying, no, I want to take what I can get. I want to cash in now with the food that I have. It's mine with the money I have. It's mine with the energy and the sleep that I have. It's mine. It's mine. And no one's going to take it fine. But something else is happening along the way. You're also, you also begin, and this is just a freebie, you also begin to live with lack. And that idea that of the, the little that you have, it just keeps growing. It doesn't stop. You always feel like you don't have enough money. You're not getting enough sleep. You don't have enough energy. We're not, you always feel that way. The answer is not to protect even more. The answer is to let go even more. And be a cheerful giver. Right? Because God loves a cheerful giver and he will make all grace abound to you so that in all times, in, in all every things. circumstance, you will abound in every good work. Yeah. What verse are we um, starting in verse 44. Those who ate the loaves numbered 5,000 men. Immediately, Yeshua had his disciples get in the boat and go on ahead of him toward the other side of the lake, uh, towards Bethsaida, while he sent the crowds away. After, uh, after he had left them, he went into the hills to pray. Yeah, so real quick, we're about to see two different things here. Number one, Jesus sent the crowds away. So the disciples' problems and struggling should all be solved, right? Because people were the problem. And as soon as we can get people out of our lives, all the problems go away, right? Husbands and wives, as soon as you can stop worrying about ministry, now all your problems go away, right? No, the people are not the problem. We're about to see this. But I also love that Jesus is holding open-handed what he originally set out to do with the Lord. Yeah, Jesus is demonstrating trust that God will provide for his needs. It's just going to come to him in God's timing after he provides for people. Right. Jesus is demonstrating this very principle to his disciples because he just lost his cousin. Right? So much greater than being hungry. Mm -hmm. Right? And he needed time with his father. But the people were there and he saw them rightly. So he treated them rightly. 
And then God, in God's timing, provided what Jesus was needing. Right? You yeah, see because Jesus he's not just saying for your needs to go away and those actual, actual things that you have need of. He's not just saying they're going away. You're never going to be cared for. No, remember Jesus' attitude towards them was, let's go away to a solitary place where we can rest and you can eat. Because that is the Lord's heart, to give you rest. That is his heart. But in his timing, and as we hold it open-handed, Lord, I know you know what I need. And so right now I'm going to do with a joyful heart what you've put in front of me. I'm going to give cheerfully, not as someone prize it from my hands. I'm going to give it cheerfully, knowing that at the right time, you will address this burden that's on my heart and you and I will have our time together. But for right now, these people are not an obstacle to be removed. They're here with a genuine need. Verse 47, when night came, the boat was out on the lake and he was by himself on land. He saw that they were having difficulty rowing because the wind was against them. So this is a point that communicates that when you uh, get in these opportunities to minister, to lay down your will, to pick up God's will, and you miss it, right? You're going to continue to struggle. You're going to continue to have difficulty in forward movement. And Jesus recognizes that. He recognizes they're having difficulty, right? Because look what it says. Let's see here. Down there in verse 51. They were completely astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves. On the contrary, their hearts had been made like stone. So he, they didn't understand what what he was trying to teach them, we might not even realize that we've missed it. We just might feel upset mm -hmm. that people showed up at our door and feel justified to argue with our husband about why he's not spending time with me. Or they broke our couch or our toilet handle. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, and all the while, how many times have we done this and not even recognized that we missed an opportunity for a miracle and we're still continuing to struggle in forward movement, still not seeing the people rightly, still being bitter about ministry, still arguing with our spouse, mm -hmm. right? Read this here. Did we read 47? Uh, look at 49. So Jesus, uh, right before this, says he meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. They were watching Jesus walk, but they thought he was a ghost. What jumped out to me as I read this is, they're having a hard time being able to see how God is moving. They're watching Jesus, but they're seeing wrongly. 
They're seeing the people wrongly. They were seeing Jesus wrongly. God is moving in miraculous ways. It is ministering to people and doing supernatural things. Jesus himself is walking on the water, but they're seeing it all wrong. And their hearts are growing hard. Has that been you? Has your heart been hard as ministry, as people have needed from you? Where your heart begins to grow hard and all of a sudden you're just not seeing rightly anymore. Your perspective is off. You can't see how God is moving. You're not understanding what's going on and your heart is just getting hard and it's literally like you're rowing against the wind and you're just getting tired and you're frustrated and your heart is becoming hard and you're not able to see how God is moving literally right in front of you. That's a really good word. These are common struggles. I don't want to say this. We're not saying these things to discourage you. What we're saying is you guys are entering into new things as individuals, families, as individual households and collectively as a church, this disbursement of ministry and the people who will come I can promise you guys this. I said it last year. I'm going to say it again this year. As you guys continue to do this, people will come that you've never seen before and they will need from you. More and more people. And they will show up at your door and they will break your stuff and they will eat your food. And you'll tell them things from the word that were huge for you. And they'll be like, what? I don't get it. You'll tell them it 10 times. They won't listen. They'll still do their own thing and you'll be so frustrated. And there'll be potential for your heart to grow hard. There'd be potential for you to see them as an inconvenience, to push them away, to not open your home, to protect your stuff, protect your sleep, your money, your energy, to protect yourself and your stuff from people. But that's not who Jesus is. Amen. That's not what he does. Because look at what the next, the very next verse says after this. They crossed over. And when they got out of the boat, this is verse 54, when they got out of the boat, the people. That's where we're ending tonight. Because they get in the, the, because it doesn't stop. It does not stop. There's the people again. There is no break from, you can quit and walk away. You, you can. But if you stay in it, and that's what you guys do. That's who you are. If you stay in it, it's the people again and again and again. And this becomes your greatest joy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you, you actually start to see the people rightly. You actually feel compassion when they're in your driveway. You actually want to make them a meal and give them your very last of whatever because you know God will provide for you. And it becomes a joy to serve. And now you're doing the will of God according to the heart of God. Yeah. There was a sister who passed by earlier once we got here. And we were working on the message just in the back. She passed by and she said, oh, I'm sorry. I know y'all are busy. Right as we were writing this. And it's like, no, no, the whole reason we're here, Amen. Yeah. 
you're the whole reason that we're here. If you recognize, yeah, my heart has begun to grow hard. I know that the Lord is requiring more of me. I can see it. I can feel it. And my tendency is to close the blinds or to lock the door or to close the cupboard or to grab onto my wallet. My tendency is to cling tight or to get upset with my husband or to let my heart grow hard. If you know that that's been you, I know that we have different ways that we do things in here. Just stand up for a second. You know, my heart has been growing hard. Y'all are so soft hearted. The reason that the Lord is addressing these things in us is because we are on the precipice. I can promise you there's a lot more sheep without a shepherd that are out there wandering around who are going to wander into our lives over the coming years. And they're going to be ratty, tattered, broken, broken, bruised, beaten up, maybe missing some limbs. And they're not going to be refined. And they're going to need from you. And you're going to have needs, but you're going to have to give. You're going to have to give even while you have needs. And the Lord's asking you to give, not what you don't have, but what you do. We worship for a little bit. Just find your way to the altar for now. Ask the Lord, Lord, open my hands where I've been clenching them, where I've been withholding or been tempted to withhold, where I've been tempted to kind of move back so that no one, no one wants to come to my house. No one wants. I'm giving people the signals that they don't belong. Just come and and spend time at the altar and ask the Lord to open your heart, to open your hands and to help you see people rightly. Not as an inconvenience, but as the reason that you are here. And then just let him know, Lord, my house is yours. My time is yours. My family is yours. Everything I have is yours. And I will demonstrate that by the openness that I have towards people and towards ministry. Amen. You have something, Pastor? Joshua 24 style, why don't y'all sit down for just a second? I want you to think about the commitments you're fixing to make. Worship team, I appreciate what y'all are doing, but both of you men need to listen so you think through this. Wow, this could be rough, Nick. No, this is beautiful. They can take it, huh? These are the best people on, on the earth, man. Nick and Lindy Slaughter are a joy and a crown. They stood with us when there was no stage. They stood with us when Elder Johnny was still a drunk pagan. (laughs) They stood with us before most of you knew we existed. They're uh, Disciple (laughs) (laughs) 1.0. They've often joked 
that they didn't get all of the updates. But the truth is, they did more with less than you've been given. So I, I want to strike at something for a minute. It's 54 minutes. It's a, it was a beautiful sermon. It doesn't need anything. But I don't want to waste an opportunity in the new year. How many of you really want to minister? Yeah, that's why you're in this church. Let me tell you, you think you want to minister because you don't really know what it is. And they're telling you what it is. Some of you actually think that you're very good ministers. Because you've stood on our shoulders while we set the stage for you. Made the people come. Gave you the material to teach. And so you're a midget. And you believe yourself very tall. I told you this could be rough. And you have to ask yourself a real question. Would there be any crowd around you? Would there be anybody magnetically drawn to you? If we didn't create that environment. See, Nick and Lindy went where there was no one and recreated the environment. And I can testify on their behalf that you can't go anywhere in Crystal Lake and the people don't know who they are, whether they love them or hate them. And some 400 people show up because their lives have been radically changed because they had something to offer. I'm going to tell you a secret. We didn't change the schedule this year because it was just a chic thing to do. We did it because we wanted to create space where we were not making people listen to you worship. Not making people listening to you teach. Not making people come and pad your ego. And we want to see what happens. We want to see whether you have the genuine stuff in you that others are fed by. Did you know that Proverbs 11.25 says a generous man will prosper and he refreshes others will himself be refreshed? These guys have just given you the secret to successful ministry because it never comes at a convenient hour. It always comes when you're trying to bury your father or have a dead baby cut out of your wife's womb. It always comes during your most broken places. It always comes in conversations that go like this. Hey man, how's your day? Uh, Dude, truthfully, I'm, I'm really dry. Yeah, well, but anyway, here's what's going on with me. That's what a typical ministry conversation looks like. I don't want you to get the impression that we think you can't do it. Uh, the church is 20 years old. You're spiritually adolescents. And what we know will happen is that we'll stop having to illustrate to you your areas of need. And you'll start to find them on your own. And your God will help you meet them. And your leaders will stop becoming the punching bag. Yeah, it was smarter than you think it is. <laughs> Romans 12.10 says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Listen to this phrase, because you think you know what it means. And I want to tell you, most of you don't. Never. Would you just say that out loud with me? Never. Never. 
be lacking in zeal. You mean when that guy that talks too much smells a little bit and is not the one that you had hoped would show up, shows up, never be lacking in zeal? Oh, no, we love everybody. Our home's open. Everybody, you say that because you haven't done it. It's an actual spiritual gift to never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor, it says. See, I remember some of you when you were drugged out. Others of you when you were demon-possessed. Others of you when you couldn't hold a job. A bunch of you when you couldn't figure out how to barely dress yourselves or practice good hygiene. And you are what you are now because somebody else poured into your life. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. You ready for it? Practice hospitality. Why do you have to practice anything? So if you need to practice it, what are you not now? Oh, no, no, we, we're hospitable. We allow people into our home. Yeah, do they want to be there if nobody drives them to it? Do you know how many days the Stevens have opened their doors and there were people there? Do you know how many times that what these people were preaching about tonight has been true for us? Nobody's ever made people come be around us. We haven't been able, I'm not nice to you and you come anyway. Why? What makes a couple magnetic? Is it because Pastor Slaughter can juggle and he can? Is it because he can do backflips and he can? Is, is it because he can play every instrument and he can? Is it because Lindy can hit a golf ball pregnant further than most of you men? And she can. No, what makes people drawn to someone is when you have vision for their life that they don't have yet. And you, you're broken yourself and hurt yourself. But you have found the secret to getting strength from heaven is pouring into another human being. So I just don't know. I mean, I think the church is kind of cliquish. Not everybody wants to come over. I opened my house and nobody came. I promise the problem's with you. Get some vision for their life. Spend your time serving them. Can I tell you, it's not the same to open your home as it is to serve somebody. I've been at many functions in this church that were open and we hosted. No, you didn't. You put food on a table and allowed people to come to your house. You showed no real concern for the people that were there. You didn't have a word for the people. You didn't have vision for the people. Well, we hosted. I think you need to redefine what that means. The host means that they're a parasite. And they are sucking the life out of you, but it's your joy to give it. If you found time to go escape to some other place for a couple hours while people are at your house, you didn't host. Ministry is about giving life to another person. When you barely feel like you have it yourself, but you trust your God. Do you hear that in what they're sharing? I've watched them do it. I mean, 
they have transformed a community. But you know why? They were really transformed. And can I tell you, LCM didn't have a lot when they were here. I think Nick's first service had about 12 people in it. And he thought he found gold. I don't recall Nick being particularly upset with all that we didn't do for him. He wasn't waiting for us to set the table for him, although we were setting a table. He was appreciative and anxious to reproduce what he had learned. I'm trying to tell you how. Psalm 51 says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. What's your sacrifice, Juan? Broken spirit. What's your sacrifice, Steve? So you can prepare for six or eight hours in a day if you want to. Or you could have a broken heart and a desire to build up Zion, which is what the next verse says. And then you don't have to prepare for hours in a day because you've been preparing your whole life for the moment that you get to share treasure with someone. Do you have to prepare for your Bible studies? I've never known when my Bible studies were going to happen. They were just based on the need of the person sitting across from me. Do you think that the words that we've given you and stuff, we, we had some secret 12 hours to go and do Greek word studies? Or do you think we just live a life of seeking God for your benefit? Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do you genuinely believe that you have the power to act? Do you genuinely believe God has deposited something in you that will save the life of other human beings? Or do you just kind of get off being the teacher or the worship guy or whatever, and you're happy when there's rows of people? Because I've never cared how many people there were. In fact, I've been inviting all of you to leave every service since we started. I think it was Charlie's first comment to me when he got here. He said, I've noticed you... You give people the opportunity to leave every service. Yeah? Because if you have something that is life-saving, you can't get people to leave. Matthew 13, 52. So he, he said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house. Are you an owner of a house? And if you think I'm talking about a mortgage, you're pretty dense. Do you own something in the kingdom? Have you taken possession of a reality that others don't understand? Is it so certain to you that you hold the title deed in your pocket? Because if that is you, then you can bring out of your storeroom new treasures as well as old. New as well as old. Yeah, treasure to offer people because you're supposed to be hunting it. You're supposed to be chasing it. You're supposed to be looking for it every day. And you know what happens when you do that? You run into people every day that need what you just found. We're going to close here with a passage from Sunday that we're going to also pick up on on Sunday. By the way, Nick and Lindy didn't prepare for this message. They were prepared for the message. They didn't know they were giving the message. 
We did what we always do. Y'all are how many hours out? Good, you'll preach. And you know what came out of them? Their actual life experiences, not a clever, well-presented argument. See, they, they have the real thing. You could put them anywhere in the world, and people will seek them out because they have something worth seeking out. The problem is not that the church hasn't promoted your meeting enough or doesn't support your position enough or your children enough. That is also ridiculously carnal that really should never take place in here. You know what the real problem is? You need to grow in your faith. You need to obtain something of value. Then you can't keep people away from you. Have you ever wondered how I can be so rude and still have started a church? This is how. Have you received a life-giving word in the last five years from a pastor in this church? If you haven't, I would ask you what on earth you're doing here, and it'd be another invitation to get out. And if you have... When does it become your turn to give life-giving words to people? Luke twenty-two thirty-one is one I want to put on the screen. This is really not going to be pleasant. And I'm glad you're here to protect me. <laughs> Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as we. How many get sifted? So have you been sifted over these last few months? Your answer was not as enthusiastic as it should be. If you like, I could continue my rudeness and name the areas that I know you're being sifted in. It shows up in all the areas you've had to repent from. And a bunch that you don't know you need to repent from still. If at any point in the last year you've been a victim... Somebody didn't do you right in the church. The leaders didn't do you right in the church. How dare them support that? They didn't understand that. Can I tell you you're being sifted? How do you live a life focused on refreshing others? So focused on all the ways that you've been wronged. When you've really obtained something from heaven, everybody that you know can wrong you all of the time and it doesn't even phase you. Some of you need to repent. Some of you already have and some of you really need to repent. You thought you heard from God and you were so clearly wrong and it is so demonstrable that you were wrong and yet you still feel wronged rather than acknowledge that you were wrong. How are you going to grow like that? How can you grow like that? Your first reaction to pain is to lash out at someone else. How are you going to minister like that? If it's going to be 2022, a year of ministry, you have to recognize what sifting does. It does one thing. It shows you where you still get to grow. Which is what happens next. Simon... That your faith, I, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. I wouldn't talk to you like this if I thought you didn't possess genuine faith. In fact, we spent a whole month in December just trying to encourage you for what was coming. 
if you possess genuine faith, then I ought not be able to discourage you enough from keeping you from doing what God told you to do. Have you ever read Joshua's altar call? You people are not able to serve the Lord. No, I know you. You're not able to serve the Lord. No, no, we will. Okay, very, very well. Three times you've said it. I'm calling heaven and earth as witness against you. Have you ever heard the altar call? If you possess the genuine thing, then nobody in this room can keep you from accomplishing it. Nobody's action or inaction will ever stop it from occurring. Except yours. And when you have turned back, would you say that with me? When you have turned back. Strengthen your brothers. All right, this is the part that's going to be difficult. And I'm, I'm going to do it and then... Peyton will disguise the awkwardness with music and we'll put smoke and mirrors so we can have Van Halen come in if you want. Why does Jesus say to Peter that he is sifted along with everybody else? He will not fail. And when he turns back, strengthen his brothers. Because when you realize where you were sifted this year, not where somebody wronged you, not where a leader let you down, where you were sifted and found wanting. You have now found the area that when you turn back, you strengthen your brothers in. Amen. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but do something useful with his hands. Amen. He who has been lying must lie no longer, but speak the truth. You know how I know that some of you don't know how to minister? You can't even talk out loud about what you did wrong in a way that strengthens others. You don't possess enough of the genuine thing, at least you don't think that you do, that you can talk about it without being scared you're identified that way. But Paul could say, hey, I don't care about your judgment or any human court. Why is that? Was he just arrogant? No, he possessed the genuine thing. You want to minister this year? Think about the ways that you have failed in this last year and make sure that your brothers do not fail in that area by making your life the example. That's what ministry looks like. That's how you minister out of your own weakness and strengthen others. That's how you make sure that your brothers are doing well. And it puts them before you. But if you can't even admit to yourself the miserable areas of failure that you've had. How insecure must you be as a son? If you can't say where you were faithless, turn on that lion or bear. Grab it by the neck, put it to death and hold it up for others to see. How will anybody see your progress? After Tuesday night, I got several questions. What happened? Why are you angry? Oh, I'm not angry. We're just starting to get to good stuff. Yeah. Nothing happened. I want to make sure nothing does happen. And I know how this works. Do you know how I know how it works? I have sons that are like ornaments or wedding rings or trophies. They're better than I am. And I remember where they started and... How we've both grown since then. I know what it really means to be sifted 
come up short, turn back to the Lord and strengthen your brothers in that specific area. I said it was going to close. Did you know that elders are supposed to be rebuked publicly? Did you know that? You never see it done, though, do you? Why? Why should elders be rebuked publicly? Do you know what the word says? So that others may take warning. See, the answer is not in the correction of the elder publicly. It's not about shame and embarrassment. It's so that you can watch what that older, more mature man does next. Do you find an area of failure in your life? It's only failure if you can't acknowledge it. Hold it up as a trophy and say, watch me now. Did you make some relationship mistakes this year? <laughs> Did you make some mistakes with your children this year? Do you have some arrogant thoughts that you didn't know you had or demean another brother this year? I just named the ones that came to my mind first. Well, now you know where you must turn on that, and you should be the evangelist for protecting your brothers from that area for the rest of your life. Then you can minister the gospel. Okay? I know that in our day and time, uh, gospel presentation is, is very well scripted. I think the best gospel presentations are what happens when somebody shows up at your house at midnight. What happens when you are in agony, but you look up and realize you also have something that will help that person. You know what helps them most? The areas where God actually transformed you. You tasted of the power of heaven and not the ones when you were first born again. I'm talking about last week. And if you can't do that, then don't set your sights on ministry. You're already a failure. But if you're willing to boldly get to this altar, examine where you personally, not 40 years ago, in the last 40 days are falling short. Turn on that. Say, heaven, if you will help me, I will strengthen my brothers so that they never fall in this area. Well, there's your seminary degree right there. Did you hear that Nick and Lindy didn't hide details like we were ministering together in Austin, strengthening them? Because they're unashamed. Do you know why they're unashamed? Because God actually met them in that. And now they would love to strengthen you so you don't need the same meeting. That's what ministry looks like. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Those of you that dislike me speaking to you this way, be glad the church is in other pastors' hands. I'm just an elder here now, and I only visit occasionally. <laughs> but I would ask you to examine the product of our lives. How many Nick and Lindy slaughters has your life produced? How many unbreakable Christians? Because this is exactly how I've been talking to them since they were little more than teenagers. And it builds unbreakable ministers. 
There's no room for any more fragile Christians in this church. There's actually no such thing as a fragile Christian. We have the almighty power of God in us so that we are overcomers of hell. By necessity, that means that your brothers are not actually capable of injuring you with speech. I want to invite this church to this altar for personal examination of your failure apart from any other person's action. And when you stand up from the altar, presuming you have the courage to even come, your marching orders are to strengthen others in that area. It's not done by flailing yourself over it. Poor me, I did this, it was horrible, it was horrible. Nobody wants to hear that, especially not me or God. What we want to hear from you is how God transformed that so that we can also be transformed and not fall into the same pit. That's what ministry is. So the altar will be open for you to find that area or areas in your life. And then when you stand up from the altar, you are free from it, transformed in it, and will prove it by helping others avoid the same pit through your testimony. That's what ministry actually looks like. If you're worried you're going to ruin your witness through that, let me assure you, you don't have much of a witness if you think like that. A real witness is your martyrdom. I had to die to this, and he raised me to life in this area. I had to die to that. I got it wrong again, and he had to raise me to life again. The Bible doesn't spare the men in it of that examination. They just did it. And you can't be spared either if you want to minister the gospel. Matthew preaches about his weakness all of the time. He stands on the stage and cries and says how hard it is for him to do what he's doing. And you love him more and we see the power of God more in him for doing it. Pastor Wade, does it, he holds his navel traits up on the screen for everyone to see. Do you think you can be exempt from that and minister the gospel? This is how ministry works. And I'm going to tell you it's life changing. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to pastor your flock. They are cherished by you. And they are cherished by the leaders in this church. Lord, we're asking that your spirit of holiness would move in this room not because we're holy but because we want to be Lord that you would help couples that struggle singles that struggle to put their finger on their own failures see them turn on them be transformed in your spirit of holiness and possess a magnetic power that draws others to the answer that they now have Lord, would you come and do an authentic work in this group so that we can win, so that we can achieve the call of God that we can't do any other way. Lord, the nations are dependent 
upon this work in us because you have chosen us. So refine us, Lord. And do it ruthlessly, Lord. Leave no area untouched. We can take it. We're your sons. Come and move on us here and now that we might stand up new and preach in new power and live in new power. Lord, that we might declare in the congregation of the saints that you are good and that you didn't deliver us once but many times. Have your way in this body, Lord. That your church might be as glorious as you said it would be. Come have your way in this room, Lord. So that that map will be affected in the way you said it would be. We are powerless to do it, Lord. We prove it every day. But you have the power to transform us so that we can do it. Teach us how. Teach us dependency on you. Teach us, mighty God, to depend on your transformation. That we might minister your transformation to others. Come and move on us here. Father, we trust you in this moment. And we're here for as long as it takes. Because we can't do anything without you. We'll never succeed without this in us. Help us here. 